This is an ABC podcast. It's almost 1am. No idea what day it is. I could be up raging on a Saturday night or I could be practising poor sleep hygiene on a Tuesday morning. Who even knows? I'm Jan Fran, recording this from my bedroom. Still not wearing a bra. And I'm feeling kind of... Well, I've fallen down an internet rabbit hole. You know how it is. I've got my laptop in bed. My standards are slipping. Wait a second, I just need to get some dip. It's suddenly socially acceptable by tzatziki by the kilo. I like it. Anyway, right now, a lot of our routines have fallen away. A lot of the distractions from our busy, busy lives, they're all gone. And suddenly, something has been catapulted into the spotlight. Something other than how often and how thoroughly we wash our hands. What's been pushed to the forefront is how much we need connection. Meaningful connection to other people in our lives. With things that fulfil us. With community. Because without it, life gets lonely. Without it, I don't know why I'd ever get out of my tzatziki-eating bed cocoon. But there is good news. There are things that you can do to make connections really powerful and sticky, which is excellent for your health, your mind and your life. So how do we do it? I'm going to find the science, the proven theories and the experts who study this for a living and then I'm going to steal their life's work so we can use it for our own game. Cool? Cool. This is The Pineapple Project, the podcast that takes life's prickly parts and makes them sweeter to deal with. So where do we start? Well, usually the obvious place to start for any kind of self-improvement. With a TED Talk. And I found one that was so good, I wrote to the guy who gave it. What keeps us healthy and happy as we go through life? And I was like, dear sir, I have a very reputable podcast. Please come on and tell everyone what you just told 31 million people. We can connect to all sorts of shit in our lives. To money, careers, travel, social media. But ultimately, the one thing that you need to prioritise is this. The good life is built with good relationships, period. That's Dr. Robert Waldinger. He runs the world's longest study on human behaviour, the Harvard Study of Adult Development. They've looked at hundreds of people across their entire lives. There's nothing quite like it. It's basically the holy grail of happiness studies. So imagine if you could follow an entire life from the teenage years all the way to the end of life. And imagine if you could do that for hundreds of people to find out what really makes people happy and healthy. That's what we did. And a lot of the questions were about what what people wanted to do in their lives and what they thought would make them successful and happy. And people talked about all kinds of things, about becoming rich, about getting a great job, about making a huge impact on the world. Uh, Many of the people that we talked to wanted to 
become successful. And success usually meant monetary success and uh, sometimes fame. And so we then followed those people through their lives, and some of them did become rich, and some of them did become famous. Most of them led pretty normal, ordinary lives. Um, And we talked to them throughout their lives about what was making them happy. And what did you find? Our biggest finding, and the one that surprised us the most, was that the happiest people were the people who had good, close relationships with other people. That was something we didn't really expect. And other studies have shown this too, that once our basic material needs are met, more income doesn't actually make us happier. What does it actually mean? How does a good relationship actually play out? What do you need as key elements in your life to have good relationships with people? Well, they're different at different times in your life, at different ages. As adults, um, we often need people to help us to have our backs, to be the person who will loan you their car when yours breaks down, to be the person who, whose shoulder you can cry on when you've had a terrible day. Um, we asked our study subjects at one point to, to list all the people they could call in the middle of the night if they were sick or scared. And some people couldn't list anybody, including maybe their spouse. And some people had a pretty long list of people they felt they could call. And one of the things we found is that feeling like there are people in the world who really have your back, who will be your safety net, that that matters a whole lot for not just happiness, but for health. Wow. So actually developing your relationships right now will impact your health when you are much older. Absolutely. And it's not just an investment in the future, it's an investment in now. So what we find, and you know, it's, it's, you don't have to be in your 50s to, to realize this is important, that at every age we need these relationships. And what we're finding is that we need to take care of those relationships, just like we take care of our physical fitness. So does this you know, mean like I can you, never fight with my husband again? Is this what you're telling me? Yes, it means you can never <laughs> fight with your husband again. That's exactly right. Everything has to be perfect all the time. No, that is not the truth. Actually. Good. Um, Thank God. Let's clear that no, up. No, no, no. In fact, conflicts are inevitable in relationships. Hard times are inevitable, right? Differences are inevitable. That's not a problem. The The real key to a good relationship is finding ways to work out differences, to work out conflicts. Um, so in fact, we studied a group of couples and we videotaped them having an argument. And the couples who were the angriest at each other, who were the nastiest in their fights, they weren't the couples who broke up four years, five years later. The couples who broke up were the couples for whom there wasn't a bedrock of affection, that we couldn't see any affection even when they were arguing. And so the couples where there's a bedrock of affection can argue, and it isn't a problem for their stability. Um, So that's just to say, affection is what's really important in a relationship. And if you have that, go ahead and argue. I'm keeping that advice very 
top of mind right now, as I live in what I like to call my argument bunker, also known as my apartment. That advice is a way to look at your friends, your partner, your kids, and think, can I be my own weird self with you? Can I be honest about where I'm at? Because Robert says, it turns out that's really important too. What we find is that if we can be ourselves in relationships and if we can talk about the things that really matter, we are happier and healthier. Um, You probably know that when you've had a terrible day, if you can go home and talk to your husband or to your friend about the day, you can probably literally feel your body calm down. Other people can help calm us down. And that's a big part of why friendship keeps us healthier and why romantic relationships keep us healthier. How important do you think the ability to have a meaningful and maybe a potentially awkward conversation with the people that are closest to us is? Oh, so important. Because when we have to hold a lot in, um, the relationship grows more distant. And then it can either end in angry outbursts or it can just kind of wither and die. So that there are some friendships where something happens and you just decide, well, I'm just not going to say anything. And then gradually you grow more distant and a good relationship ends. So being able to say what's on your mind is really important. And this happens at work too. Now, obviously, we have to be careful. You don't say everything to everyone and you use your judgment. But being able to talk about what's important to you is really important with some workmates as well as uh, friends and family. What have you taken away from the study personally? Ah, well, personally, I've started to pay more attention to my relationships. So, you know, I'm a Harvard professor. I can get a little lost in my work. And one of the things I realized was that I needed to take care of my friendships and I needed to make sure I was around for my kids as they were growing up because they weren't going to those relationships were not going to take care of themselves. So now what I do, for example, on a Saturday afternoon, I think to myself, okay, I could sit and I could work all afternoon or I could call that friend who I haven't seen in a few weeks and see if we can take a walk or have a cup of coffee. And so I literally make those choices differently than I used to because of my being involved in this study. Is there any advice that you'd give to your children now that you know what you know as a result of this study? My advice would be to really keep relationships front and center in their lives. That yes, it's important to lean into work and it's important to accomplish things and that's all really good. But to think of relationships as the the kind of foundation of your life is much more likely to set you up for a, a fulfilled and healthy life. It's funny because I was sort of surprised but also not surprised by what Robert had to say. I mean, we're told quite a lot that, you know, your dreams are the most important thing or your goals are the most important thing. Or, you know, your self-actualization as a human being is the most important thing. And that is what is going to bring you happiness, to be able to do that. 
And so to hear that it's actually, it's not about you at all. You know, it's more about the people in your life and it's more about how you connect with other people. Yeah, that was quite huge. So is now my time to strengthen those relationships? How? Where do I even start? You know what's nice. I asked you. And you've got a whole lot of good ideas. I've been connecting more with my neighbours. I've started doing the coffee runs for the building. Um, And then we've got a neighbour downstairs who they've been going wild on baking and making bagels and scones. And so I leave coffee at their doorstep and uh, they leave bagels and and scones on mine. Uh, On the weekend, we found out that one of my dad's favourite games had had an online adaption. So we uh, decided to uh, give it a go play the board game uh, virtually online so move all our little pieces by hand with a mouse and catch up through that it was actually really nice you know sat down had a beer and uh, bonded like old times that's the sound of our bell i was a bit sad at how much we have to rely on technology in this covid 19 crisis and so i just randomly suggested to my neighbors that we should make an old-fashioned bell pull like you'd ring the servants with in a jane austen movie and um within like a minute my neighbor david was like right let's do it i don't know if you can quite imagine it but there's this ringing bell contraption hanging outside their kitchen window and then a long string that goes across their yard and then ties to a pole near my fence and then on my side i pull it like this Hello? Oh, hello. It's time for tea. Uh, I'm a musician and I decided it would be funny to start a laughing circle in the middle of a pandemic. A laughing circle is normally when a bunch of hippies meet up in a park and look at each other and laugh and it's supposed to be good for the spirit. Uh, And I'm also not much of a laugher, so I've been conducting laughing circles on um, Zoom with complete strangers. So usually I'll um, wait for us to hopefully have about four or five people before we start trying to laugh. And when new people join, I ask them if they have anything funny to contribute and they often don't. And if no one has anything, then we just force laughter. So it's just like, (laughs) and uh, that's kind of how it works. It does lift the mood. I have people telling me that it's actually something they look forward to. Um, Some of the people in the laughing circle have lost their jobs or are trying to desperately pivot their businesses and like frantically learning new skills and and they look forward to it. My eight-year-old daughter and her grandparents are unable to see each other at the moment, so they've started writing letters to each other, which is a bit old school, but um, creating a lot of joy for them both, and it's helping her with her writing skills. Last letter my daughter wrote to my parents, she also sent a little letter for their next-door neighbour who's a widow and experiences a lot of loneliness. Um, And my parents told me that she was absolutely thrilled to get this letter from my daughter. So it's nice to know that she's um, creating a bit of happiness. Because I thought it was going to be nice to not leave anyone out. So, yeah... 
Thank you. Oh heck, my cold dead heart thawed just a tiny bit. I'm going to start stealing those ideas. Right now you might be thinking, but Jan, these are all great ideas in theory, but in my house it's not like that. I'm stressed and I'm grumpy and it's not business as usual, so sorry, Jan, sorry. I'm not skipping down the street like Fraulein Maria with a guitar in my hand, Jan. No, we're in crisis mode here, Jan. Is that a good impression of you? Regardless, it's okay. I got you. I think the great thing is that um, there's many people that say never let a good crisis go to waste. And the thing is that this kind of gives us all a chance to be a bit brave. That's Elizabeth Shaw, CEO of Relationships Australia, New South Wales. She's spent years teaching people how to have better conversations, diffuse arguments and talk good. She is the person that we all need right now. And oh my God, Al, can you turn that video game down, please? Sorry, doll. I tell you. As it turns out, a fun part of making this podcast, guerrilla style, away from a studio, has been asking our very patient guests to wrangle tech in their own homes. Is that all right? Or I've disappeared again. I'll go back to the stairwell. This is the problem with um, being home with the whole family, is that uh, I'm trying to find a place where they're not. (laughs) The sound quality might be patchy, but what Elizabeth has to say is gold. Lean into her wisdom. So quality relationships are going to be more important now than ever because this is going to be a long-standing crisis situation and those nearest and dearest to us need to survive this with us. We want to all be left standing and, and still be in connection when we get to go back to our normal lives. We don't want people suffering in silence right now and we don't want people's Uh, negative situations to escalate. Um, At these times, we're at high risk for that to happen. And so we have to be very careful with each other getting through this in one piece. Elizabeth says that in any given household, it's totally normal for people to be feeling a new emotion every hour. What people might be feeling on an individual level ranges from, at the moment, perhaps a little bit of um, interest about stepping off the usual treadmill, doing things differently, through to feeling extremely stressed by giving up their usual routine and surrendering some personal freedoms. So there's a very wide variation. And of course, within any one household, there could be a whole range of those differences being played out. Yeah, those differences that normally work a treat Oh, I might start to feel a bit testing. So, for example, you may be a more extrovert person and you may have partnered up with someone who's more introvert. Normally, you manage that fine. You know these differences, you manage them. You get your needs met at work, you have lots of people to chat to, you come home and you don't need that so much from your partner. All of a sudden, they're your main source of support. And so they're individual differences that normally you feel quite fond of, you can start to get more demanding about or more irritated by. And that can be a real problem. People right now are doing it tough because 
some of the strategies you use at the beginning, which are about keeping calm, overlooking things, saying we're all in it together, and you're starting to think, no, this is our usual style, these are things I don't like. So you start to need to develop a different bank of strategies and a different, more proactive approach to addressing things before before it turns into perhaps a bit of rot that can set in. When the cracks start to appear, um, some people get very anxious about that. If your style is not to be very bold around addressing conflict, you can be tempted to sweep as much as you can under a mat and step over it. So try and distract yourself, get on with other things, put it down to a bad day. Uh, but what what the reality is, is that a lot of people, by not confronting things, they do find that it accumulates um, and then is more likely to come in an outburst, um, which is more explosive once that sort of hill becomes too high to step over. So what's really important about speaking up early is that you not only clear those things out of the way, hopefully, but you also, all as you do that, give yourself a, a sense of affirmation that we are people who can solve problems. So you're kind of building resilience every time you're able to solve a problem in a proactive way. So if you and your housemates or your partner or your kids don't really talk on an emotional level, um, clear it up front. If you say, look, I know this feels a bit clunky, it's not like us, but I really want to talk about how I'm feeling, then, then usually that kind of opening, everyone relaxes, they could maybe laugh with you, yeah, we don't usually, it's all a bit strange, isn't it? And, and it's a kind of warm way in to be able to talk about some new things and in new ways. Okay, if I follow Elizabeth's advice right now, instead of saying to my husband, Al, for sake, I told you to turn the video games down. I am trying to work. Shut it up or I will throw it out the window. As an example, I could try, Al, I know you really like playing that video game. I feel like when it's too loud, I find it hard to concentrate and get my work done properly. Work is pretty important to me right now. So do you think you could use headphones while I'm trying to work? Mm -hmm. Did you hear that? That is the sound of a crack being papered over. Elizabeth says, don't worry if you're having a hard time coming to terms with all of this because she has developed a handy little guide to make these conversations easier. At this time, what I'd really recommend is that people develop a household continuity plan and that plan will help our relationships and our households survive this crisis. That's right. Free therapy, people. You're welcome. Here are the steps to your household continuity plan. One, be proactive. Call a family meeting or a household meeting and say, look, let's let's just draw a line in the sand and review how we've been traveling. What's worked? What's gone sort of a bit pear-shaped? What's what surprised us about how well we've done? Speak up, name the problems and brainstorm some options. If you're not proactive now about some of the repeating themes that are already happening, they're only going to keep repeating until they're addressed. Now may not be the time to ask your father about his traumatic childhood, just quietly, but we can start to tell people what we need. Ask them what they need. Pause and listen to each other. Next. Two create some new and meaningful rituals for connection. So once you've had that meeting, say, let's just touch base once a week. 
and see again what we've learned, where we stumbled. What it does is it helps you build capacity. But the other thing is for conflict avoidant people, it calls you to account. It means, okay, we're having that dinner again and, um, and this is what we're supposed to talk about. So here's my chance. And finally, three, own your own stuff. Be accountable for what's happening to you. Don't get fixated on why other people are annoying. Start to look at why you're annoyed and how you might be able to defuse that bomb without waiting for others to change first. What that might look like is noticing your reaction, starting to say, why does that get to me so much? Um, Why is that such a big deal? Work out where it's coming from and which part of it you can own and solve another way. And and when you go to speak about it, own your own stuff. You know, say, um, look, I've been irritable this week and uh, I don't think I've handled myself that well at times and I've been reflecting on that. Um, So again, that can be a good way to lead by example. If you've owned your stuff, other people might say, well, look, now you mention it, I didn't handle it well either. Work with your strengths. That's another really key point. If your household works really well because you're all out of the house and you really run into each other three or four times a week, you need to be able to own up to say, look, of course, this is not how our household works. We shouldn't say suddenly we're a bunch of failures or I thought I liked you, but now I don't. But instead say, well, of course, we're forced into something that's against our successful style. And so it's more about what do we need to do temporarily so we can get back to where we really work well. Solid plan. But also, be kind to yourself. Because these are really unusual circumstances. At the moment where a lot of the um, the markers of what is a good day have fallen away, it is important that we individually think about um, what a meaningful day is, what, what is going to be our purpose, what can we do by the end of the day that still feels good enough and satisfying enough. And, and also, I think the people in our lives that matter to us, I think saying to yourself, I'm going to ring a friend every day. Um, I'm just going to do that to keep in touch that that I still contributed, that I still feel satisfied, that my um, my life is still rolling on in a way that has meaning. So what have we learned? Quality relationships are key to the good life. And now is a great time to shine some light on them. Like Robert says, we need to take care of relationships the same way we take care of our physical fitness. So, like Elizabeth says, call a family meeting. Speak up. Tell people how you're feeling. Maybe put some rituals in. And don't forget, there are small steps that you can take to reach out. Video call someone instead of texting them. Hmm? Write a letter to your grandparents. Fret not my friends. I am here to bring you plenty more ways to make it work in this weird new world. I'm Jan Fran. This is The Pineapple Project, the C word. It's connection done good. Coming up next on The Pineapple Project. You've taken care of things in your own household. What next? It's time to put your head up because there's one really important connection in your life that you might be overlooking? The biggest answer to that question, I think, Jan, is that because when we are behaving compassionately, cooperatively, 
kindly towards other people, we are fulfilling our human destiny. It's really close to home. Literally. Other people are scary. Why would you make friends with other people on your street, even though you've lived there for three years? But once you find it... Made me feel like I'm part of a community, not on our own. They made a gesture to me that was just so helpful and blew me away. I almost burst into tears. Now we have friends across the road that we didn't even know existed. That's next time. Also, if you're down a rabbit hole of existential crisis, there's another podcast I'd love to recommend. It's funny, it's deep, it's Judith Lucy. How do you feel about dying? I've always been told from a young age that the only thing I have to do in this life is die. What gives your life meaning? We're running so fast forward that we've forgotten kind of to go forward. We need to go back. Are you single? Uh, I am single. No, I put it my same. In the sense that there's one of me. <laughs> the whole series of Judith Lucy Overwhelmed and Dying is available now on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listener.